Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Welcome, welcome. Glad you're with us either in person or online. If I've met you, I'm Chip Freed, the lead teaching pastor here at Garfield Memorial Church. Hey, give a big round of applause for our young people. Man, they gave, they gave a gift of time this week, which time is the one gift when you give it, you never get it back. Um, you know, they gave the gift of time. More importantly, they gave the gift of their hearts. Um, they weren't stooping down to serve. They were joining with others to serve and fellowshipping and sharing the joy together of some historically underserved youth um, in, in uh, areas of, of Cleveland. And just so, so proud of them and so thankful for that. Um, I'm preaching today the last message on our series of seven daily sins. They come from the seven deadly sins. And the last one in the list is the sin of sloth, which is sometimes interpreted laziness. And let me tell you, our youth were not lazy. Our youth were serving and giving, and what a stark example of the opposite of what we're going to talk about today, spiritual sloth. Now, we've been talking about the seven deadly sins. They're not in the Bible. They're not in there like the Ten Commandments. Now, things like pride and greed and other things are mentioned, um, but they were created really by a fourth-century monk, picked up on by a Catholic pope in the sixth century who kind of canonized it, and then Thomas Aquinas, a, a very famous theologian, wrote extensively about it, and then Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman brought it to the big screen um, in, in movie seven. If you haven't seen that, um, you laughed at that joke the first time I told it. Um, but anyhow, uh, people really understand these seven deadly sins. Some people, yeah, journalists talk about them, sociologists. It's even wider than the community of faith. But I think this particular sin could be one of the most misunderstood, okay? Um, there are sins, uh, theologians will tell you, they call them sins of commission and sins of omission. Meaning sins of commission are things we commit, things we do, and our actions are not right. Being greedy and acting on that, being prideful and acting on that. The sins of omission are things we don't do that we ought to do. And Thomas Aquinas says sloth, this particular sin, is the only sin of omission in, in, of all the daily sins we talk about, things that creep up on us, things we ought to do. I, I've been very ashamed of myself. I have a, you know, my mom said Freeds have diarrhea of the mouth. You know, if you work with me, I'm a talker. Um, you know, the staff has gotten used to it. I'm an extrovert. So they have to realize when I'm talking, I'm, I'm really thinking. So don't take me too seriously. I'll get to the point at some point, you know. And so I've been very ashamed of myself sometimes by sins of commission with my mouth. Things I've said that I really wish I wouldn't have, right? Open mouth, insert foot. But I've been equally upset at times I should have said something. See, that's a sin of omission. 
and that spiritual slot. Now, let me be quick to say something I think is very important. Um, one of my preacher professors in seminary, Tom Long, taught us when we wrote a sermon or a message, always ask yourself, what's the enemy of the message? What's the thing that could be misheard? What's the thing that you might mean it for good and the enemy turns it into evil? And I already knew when I started writing this message what the sin of this sermon was. I come from a family of workaholics, significant workaholics. It was in the German ethic, man. We were taught about the sin of laziness every day, right? If you're not doing something, you got to get doing something and do, 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 work, work, work. And that's where we were. And uh, if you're not careful, you're going to hear this sin of sloth or laziness that way. Oh, I need to get busier. No, you really don't, okay? This isn't what it was talking about. So here's one thing I wrote. I'm going to urge you today not to mishear this when we're talking about sloth. This is not talking about lingering over lunch with a friend. This is not talking about strolling aimlessly through the woods or by the lake with someone you love. This is not um, spending a day doing nothing because the demands of your job have you at wit's end. This is not talking about moving through the weekend without hurry or chore or wasting an hour watching a sunset. This is not about taking time alone in science to quiet your spirit and get back in tune with God. That's not sloth. That's Sabbath. And Jesus said without Sabbath, we will run ourselves into the ground. Um, I found that out very recently. Um, Pastor Steve stepped in for me last week. He wasn't scheduled. But last week in my running at the pace that I run in, um, I was trying to be Superman. Our family's been going through a heck of a lot. I know some of you know about some of it. You've been praying for us. But in the midst of that, uh, I was trying to move something with our youth pastor, Theron. Did you see Theron on the video? Have you met Theron? Have you stood by him? Yeah, you know, he played college football like five minutes ago. I was a division one college point guard 40 years ago. I was trying to move something with him and pop, I, I snapped my bicep tendon, which got me a trip to the hospital. And I went to the hospital and they triaged me and they found out my heart was out of rhythm. And so now I went from being an arm patient to a heart patient. Nobody would minister to my arm, which hurt like, hurt a lot. Um, <laughs> And so for three days, they were trying to get my heart back in rhythm. This cardiologist, she's amazing. I didn't have no history or no, no, no family back. And uh, I said to her, I got so much going on, I don't have time to be in the hospital. And she said, that's why you're in the hospital. <laughs> and so they had to do the pads and shock me back into rhythm. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Um, pretty interesting. Left a little burn. That was a reminder, Chip. <laughs> Pay attention, right? Um, and that's, that's not what we're talking about. Part of that can be seen admirable and part of it's really crazy. Ask my kids. You know, my kids are grown now and you know, they they have fond recollections and they they give me a hard time all all the time when they remember family vacations that dad planned. Because when I plan a vacation, man, there are details. (laughs) There are monthly meetings over a year in advance requiring attendance. Um, There are agendas that are made. There's Google reviews to be read. There are thousands of them. Restaurants are to be researched. Uh, 
you know, the time. It'll say at 1040, we do this. At 1125, we do this. So yes, sit in that beach chair, but you've got 40 minutes, actually 39 and 27, 26, 25. Don't get too comfortable. And my kids have said, you know, when you, after a vacation with dad, you know what we need? Vacation. vacation yeah, right. And, and so you, you, that's, not, that's not the antidote to sloth. And that's not even what spiritual sloth is all about, okay? That's Sabbath, and we need it. Spiritual sloth, the word sloth actually comes from a Latin with a word called akedia, which literally means without care or indifference. Spiritual sloth is falling asleep at the wheel spiritually. One scholar called it spiritual apathy, right? Um, Aquinas said, it's a lack of sorrow or an indifference to your own spiritual good. Another theologian said, spiritual sloth will poison your soul. Um, it's, it, it's, it's a neglect of our spiritual life. It's, it's a haphazardness to that, right? You know, we punch the clock maybe Sunday morning, and then we go about our lives. That's spiritual sloth. That's laziness to the call of Christ. There, Harry Fairley is a, a, a journalist, and he wrote about the deadly sin of sloth. And he said he felt that sloth showed up three ways. First, he said there's mental sloth. He said this one's not obvious, but it's very common. We're too lazy to think. We're too lazy to read. We're too lazy to research. We're too lazy to enter into challenging conversations, to stretch ourselves, to, to not make it just all about us and, and our own personal comfort, but to grow, right? And because of that, we just tune into our favorite news channel and listen to our favorite talking head or, or go to our, uh, our social media event, and, and we, we just hang around people that confirm our own biases, Right? And we, we never grow. That's mental sloth. Uh, Brian Whitlow wrote a book called Hurdles in Heaven. And he said, when, when we do this, we develop prejudice. And he said this about prejudice. I love it. He said, prejudice is a great labor-saving device because it enables us to advance opinions without taking the trouble to get the facts. That's mental laziness. And it's going on all around our world, if you haven't noticed right? Failure to think. Then he said there's moral sloth. Moral sloth is we vent and we moan about all the ills of the world, right? But we just don't do anything about it. We vent and vent and vent. You know, I remember there was a, there was a cartoon years ago. I forget what it was. It was that, uh, uh, this little duck that talked, I guess. And he said, you know, he said to his friend, he said, sometimes I just want to ask God, why is there so much poverty in the world? Why is there so much racism? Why is all this violence? Why is all these terrible things? I just want to ask him. And he said, why don't you, you know, I would say, God, what are you doing about it? And his friend said, why don't you ask him? He says, I'm afraid he's going to ask the same of me. See, it's our failure to act, our failure to do when confronted with moral evil. And then he said the third form of sloth is the most dangerous. It's spiritual sloth. It's when we hear the demands of Christ, when we hear the callings he gives us, the hard ones, right? He said, don't just love people who love you. Don't just be nice to people who are nice to you, right? He said, pagans do that. But bless those who curse you and love even your enemies who seek to hurt you. That's hard stuff. And when we, when we face those kind of teachings, we get apathetic, right? And you know what he said, sloth sounds like, why bother? Why bother? 
right? So I, I have a definition where I basically says spiritual sloth is an apathy, apathy or a laziness toward the mission and calling of Christ, right? It, it's, it's why bother? It's why bother? It's indifference. I was reading an article this week. I shared it with the staff. Um, sociologists and, and church thinkers and researchers are really researching the American church right now because since 2020, since COVID, even the political turmoil and everything else, um, acts of you know, uh, racial injustice, George Floyd, et cetera, there's been so disruptive to the American church. And um, they're saying that even online worship, I know many of you are online, we still have a large audience, in-person worship across the American church, depending on who you listen to, that attendance in church and involvement is down by 30 to 50% of pre-COVID. And they're trying to figure out why. And in this article, they said, well, you probably think some people left over politics and, and they, they were mad and that happened and some did. And you think some left because they came back into church and they either had to wear a mask or not enough people were wearing masks. So they wrote the pastor a nasty email. I didn't get any of those. Ha ha. Um, you know, or, or, you know, racial issues or all the, and, and the scholar said, but those people aren't the largest number of people that left. They're just the loudest people that left. They said the largest number of people who left, left because indifference. They just got apathetic to it and found other things to do. That's spiritual sloth. There is a religion, they say, that is growing in America. It's the fastest growing religion in America right now. You know what it is? Politics. It's the fastest growing religion in America. Everybody's animated. Everybody has opinions. They've got devout loyalty, right? It's creeping into the church, uh, endorsements, nationalism, all this stuff. And, and it's growing. Ed Stetzer, an ecclesiologian, that's not the word, um, ecclesiologist. I, I have to be careful. Pastor Terry is really smart. Um, He's a great ecclesiologist, which means he studies the church. And he said back in 2021 that the research is showing that people are making decisions about church politically rather than spiritually. Now, I have actually seen people leave church over politics. I've seen it do it. Why don't I see more and more people leaving politics over the church, over the commitment to Christ? It's spiritual sloth. We get lazy. We get apathetic, right? Uh, we fall asleep at the wheel. And that's why our case study is Peter. He's our case study today. This, this is Peter, right? A leader of the church. And he, he falls asleep at the wheel. We know the story, right? And so if Peter, it can happen to Peter, it can certainly happen to us. You know, when I grew up, I was always taught Judas betrayed Jesus. You know, he's the one. Have you ever noticed? Um, I've, I've heard a lot of people name their children after apostles. We did. We have a son, Matthew. He's getting married in Denver, by the way. We're heading out there um, on Wednesday. But I've met Matthews. I've met Peters. I've met Andrews. I've met Pauls. How many of you have ever met a Judas? <laughs> Nobody names their kid Judas. Why? Because we like to scapegoat. They're the problem. That's the one. That's not the scripture. When they were in the upper room, watch what Jesus said. You will all you know what all means in the Greek? All. You will all become deserters because of me this night. Peter said to him, he's the only one dumb enough to say it, though all become deserters because of you, I will never desert you. 
Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. That's the scripture we heard today. But Peter said to them, even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples, right? All of them um, said that. And, and here's Peter in verse 35. Even if I have to die, I won't deny you. I, even the, I, I'll never desert you. And you know, that's in verse 35. If you go to verse 36, they go into the Garden of Gethsemane at Jesus' most pivotal hour, the most pivotal hour in the history of the world. And what did they do? What did Peter do? Fell asleep. Once, twice, three times, a lady. Anyhow, going back to my Commodores. Um, you'll know who the Commodores are. You can't get into heaven. Um, but you fall asleep three times, right? Uh, three times in, in the garden. And Jesus said, you, Peter, you couldn't stay awake one hour? One hour? So the Spirit's willing. You know, you've got a willing heart, brother. But man, your, your staying power is pretty weak, right? And he fell asleep. This is what happens to us as sloth. And then, just 30 verses later, he's in the by the fire as Jesus, you know, is being tortured and needs him the most. And they said to him, hey, aren't you a follower of his? And he said, Jesus who? I, I don't know him, right? Do you see how quick that happened? And it can happen to all of us. We can fall asleep. I, I'm a big nautical guy. I like to do research. And, and then I'm a fisherman, a boater. And I just read a story about the Titanic. You know, it was in the news again with the tragedy that happened. And, and, um, but I learned something I never learned before. When the Titanic, at that tragedy, when it sunk, there were two vessels in the area that could have provided assistance. One was the Californian. It was only 20 miles away from the Titanic, and on, on, on the ocean, you, they could, you can see that. And when they saw the flares going off, they thought they were having a party. They were sending, you know, rescue flares. They thought it was a party. You know why? Because it was late at night, and they decided to turn their radio off. And when they saw all the lights go out in the Titanic, they said, oh, they've just turned the lights out for the night. Only 20 miles away. But 58 miles away was the Carpathian. They had their radio on. They heard the SOS calls. They heard the distress calls. And the Carpathian went at full throttle three and a half, mile, three and a half hours navigating the ice field and got to the wreckage site. Most of the people had perished, but they saved 705 lives. Three times the distance of the Californian who had their radio off. How many people die? How many lives are lost? How much hope is lost? Because people of faith have their radio off. It can happen real easy. It happened to me <clears throat> just this past week. Terry and I, you know, I'm mad about being in the hospital and then all this stuff. And we, we got a lot of stuff going on in our lives. And we were working real late and doing this stuff and unpacking, unpacking, all these things. And it got late and we hadn't eaten dinner. And we said, we said there was one place that was open uh, that we could go to. It was a little, a little pub, a little tavern. And we jumped in to see if we could, the kitchen was still open, plopped down at a table. And next to us was a man who apparently was homeless. Um, he was somewhat intoxicated. Um, but he, he looked, he said, hey, hey, my friends are here. He's like, hey, I'm so glad to see you. We're so glad you're here. And, you know, Terry is just, oh, Terry. She's like, oh, yeah, I'm glad to see you too, friend, and all this. And I'm like, you know, I'm one of them. 
And, you know, he put his hand on, hey, and I, and I dapped him up with this hand. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, just like this. And I said, hey, man, we're just tired. We're just tired. And he goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have bothered you. And um, about a minute later, I looked at my wife and I said, you know, just because I'm tired and mad is no mean for me to be an idiot. Now, I didn't say idiot, but I want to keep my job. Um, and I said, you know, that could be Jesus sitting over there. And she just shrugged her shoulders. And I got up and went and sat with him. And I said, hey, friend, I'm sorry I was rude. What's going on? And we just had a conversation. And uh, I said, it was so nice of you to call us friends. And I, I would love to be your friend. And I said, in fact, I, I'd love to pay for your meal. Oh, don't do that. You don't have to do that. I said, no, I really want to do that. I need to do that because I was just being a jerk. And uh, I said, you know, do you need a ride? Do you need us to take you somewhere? No, I sleep right out here. And he said, but thanks for coming over. He said, that was the nicest thing anybody's done for me this week. Do not hand clap me or give me a trophy. Because I blew it initially. Why? My radio was off. That's sloth. That's an indifference to the mission. And it can happen to any one of us, right? And, and that's what Jesus said. He said, you all become deserters because of me this night. You're going to fall asleep spiritually because you're going to lose the mission. You're missing what God has called you for. This isn't missing a meeting. This isn't, you know, screwing up on an email. This isn't being late for class. This is meeting, missing the mission of the purpose of the history of the world. You know, Paul was terrible. Paul was a nationalist. He was a misogynist. He was a racist. He was a murderer. And when he found Jesus, it opened his eyes. It opened his mind. He had to go to the very people he hated the most, the ethnically different people, Gentiles, that he despised. And Jesus said, I'm going to call you, and you're going to serve me by serving them. And then he understood the gift of grace of God. And that ornery Saul became Paul. And if you heard his testimony, you know, everybody says, oh, I came to Jesus and my life has turned around and now I have a great job and lots of money and savings and wonderful marriage and all this. And, you know, that's a lot of malarkey sometimes. And Paul, if you read his testimony, he said, look, everything in my life, read it in Acts and he's before Agrippa. He said, everything in my life was great. People loved me. Everybody agreed with me because I hung out with people that voted like me and looked like me. I went to the best seminaries. I knew the Bible better than anybody else. Everybody uh, treated me with respect. I came to Jesus. My life was a wreck. So he said, I was stoned. I've been shipwrecked. I've, I've been beaten. But he said, but I found the reason for which I was born. See, being saved literally in the Greek means to become whole. It integers, right, which is the basic of the word integrity, all you mathematicians know, are what? Whole numbers. They're not fractured. They're not fragmented. And Paul became whole. Why? By answering the big questions. What am I here for? What's the real meaning of my life? You will desert because of what I'm doing this night. You'll fall asleep to my mission and my calling in your life. There's two symptoms of this. One, the first symptom, you're a spiritual sloth. It's hard to follow Jesus because the cost is just too great. The price is just too high. Um, I was reading a guy named Timothy Wu. He's a, he was a, a professor at 
Columbia Law School, and he's written a couple books on the tech industry and that. One is Master Switch, the other one's Attention Merchants. And he said he's been researching what he calls the barrage of efforts to harvest our attention. Everybody's after our attention. And, and he says the number one thing that drives consumerism and actually affects individual lives and economies, what we're paying attention to. Um, and that's why markers say, and he said the most powerful force shaping our lives is convenience. We just want convenience. Marketers say easy is better, easiest is best. But he said there's a problem when you bow down to the altar of convenience. He, said, he wrote, it can erase the sort of struggles and challenges that help give meaning to life. It can enslave us. When we let convenience decide everything, we surrender too much, even our very selves, right? Peter lost who he was. That's why he wept bitterly. Why do he weep? Because he didn't know if he was a Peter of verse 35. I will never deny you, or the Peter of verse 65, I don't even know the man. See, he didn't just lose, you know, a spelling bee. He lost who he very was. So when, when the cost is too high and it's just not convenient, we might be falling into spiritual sloth. We might have our radio off. The second one, this is the most important, we, we, we experience the loss of passion and love. Uh, uh, you know, Elie Wiesel, the great Holocaust survivor, said that hate is not the opposite of love. He said the opposite of love is indifference. It's apathy, right? That, you know, it's a loss of commitment. In fact, in Dante's Inferno, the fourth level, the fourth terrace of the Mount Purgatory, the guide said he met sloth. And he says sloth is the effect of an insufficient amount of love. See, love isn't just a feeling. Love takes action. You can't have community without commitment. That's what's tearing a, a, the fabric of our world apart. It takes commitment to something bigger than ourselves to have real community. If you live in a community where it's look out for number one and it's all about my needs and my stuff, that's not a beloved community. That's not a holy city of God. That's a jungle and survivor of the fittest. But it takes commitment. It takes keeping our radios on. It keeps being alert and awake to be part of community like that. And that's why I said that Peter went out and wept bitterly. You know, he went out. He was lost, cut off from community. Community is hanging in there with each other and hanging tight to God. Um, and, you know, I, that, that's, that's really the power of what is for love. Is not falling asleep. I've learned this in my marriage. You know, I, I, I grew up, oh, there's just one person for you. And I was like Cinderella. I was just looking around for glass slippers. There's only one that fits, you know. And I remember my spiritual mentor, I told him, I know there's only one person you can love. He said, no, there's, you can love a lot of people. He said, but what makes a marriage is the commitment, is the promise. So Lewis Smedes is a writer I really like. He writes a lot around forgiveness. And he wrote a book uh, where he said uh, he'd been married 50 years. And he said, you know, my wife has been married to five different men. And all of them have been me. <laughs> what keeps us whole? He used that word. What keeps us whole amidst all that differentiation? He said, it's the promise. And when I took that promise on my wedding day, he said, what I said basically by taking my vows was I am he 
who will be there with you. That's it. And that's what keeps us together. You know, in this craziness that Terry and I have been going through, um, you know, that can affect a marriage. You know, we, we, we do argue. Um, I always win. Um, yeah, right. Sounds good. Um, Jesus who? Right. Um, no, but, you know, it's tense. It's strong. And we've, we've just been going through it, man. And I got to tell you, I was talking to my sister the other day. Since April, I, more times than I can remember, it's just we got, we've been tense and things are going on and we're struggling. And I'll be sitting there just like, you know, and she'll come over and she'll take my hand or she'll rub my head and she'll say, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. And she'll smile and she'll walk away. And I told my sister, I got to tell you something. That means everything to me. That means everything to me. You know what she's saying? I am she that will be there with you. See, and that's what rescued Peter. Peter was lost. But I left a line out of that scripture of what, Peter, what Jesus said in the upper room. Jesus did say, you will all become deserters because of me this night. But after I am raised up, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. I'll go back where we met. We can start over again together. Yeah, Peter, you fell asleep in the garden. But guess what? You were awake when you went in there. And I can wake you up again. And Peter did meet Jesus in Galilee, if you remember. John 21, read the chapter. It's all about Peter. And Peter's sitting there naked in his shame, disgusted of what he's done. And Jesus calls him again in Galilee. And he brings them to a charcoal fire on the beach. Now, it was a charcoal fire that Peter was standing by when he said, I don't know the man and swore an oath against Jesus. The only two times the word charcoal fire is used in the Bible. Jesus takes him right back to the scene of the crime. Three times Peter denied. And three times Jesus asked, do you love me? Have you lost your love? What's going on? And then what does Jesus do? Each time, he gets him back in the, in the game. Feed my sheep. Tend my flock. Get back on mission. Turn your radio on. People are drowning. People are hurting. Do you love me? It's a beautiful story of restoration. And, and, and basically, I love how at Easter, if you read Mark's story, it says this. He, the angel says to the women, do not be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He's been raised. He's not here. Look, there's the place they laid him. But go tell his disciples. And Peter. That he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you'll see him just as he told him. Why would he say that? Peter was the head of the disciples. Go tell the disciples. And Chip. Put your name in there. Jesus has his eye on you. And he goes ahead of you. To nudge you. And to wake you up because he loves you. And that's grace. And the best image. I'm going to ask you. Just watch a three minute video with me. The best Depiction of what happened in that moment is this little video right here. Take a look. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, His crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, 
Don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus, is that you? You're alive. I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat, and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice, and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there, and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net, and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up, and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord, and you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on. Peter, yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good, then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you, yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster clucking. I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it, all right? Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that the, there was an angel there. And the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there. And if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there, and I'm looking in that tomb, and it is. It is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait. Yeah. The angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said okay. what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. Jesus goes ahead to meet you in Galilee. Maybe in Chagrin Falls, maybe in Cleveland Heights, maybe in your home, maybe in your singleness, in your marriage, maybe through a phone call of a friend. But he goes ahead, and just like Peter, he has your name assigned to his mind. Says he loves us so much our names are written in the palms of his hands. And he says to us, as the ultimate spouse, do you know how many times Jesus says he wants to get married to us? Right? 
And he says those eternal words, I am the only he who will always be there with you. And when you fall asleep, just like I did with that little girl, I'll say, little girl, little boy, wake up. So pay attention this week and don't be succumbed by the spirit of sloth. Amen.